The following is a continuation of my interview with Steve Randall. If you've gotten here without listening to the first half, go back and listen to that first. So the next uh, chapter I have notes on is uh, you move the, uh, the ATP. I have a question. Hmm. Is an ATP a Jetstream 41? Is that it's what they call it here in the 41? It's like a, it's a Jetstream on steroids. Um, it's a bigger version of the Jetstream built by British Aerospace. Um, okay. And so uh, it, 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 looks like a, a, it looks like a bigger Jetstream, basically. Okay. And uh, your friend John with the Diet Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> does, he, does he still drink the Diet Pepsi? I'm sure he does. Um, he, I, yeah, he, uh, John was awesome. Um, so, uh, the problem we had with these ATPs, um, is that the, the, the last company to operate them, UFS, um, they, they had parked them years before in uh, Kingman, Arizona. Um, the, the, these were the last ones in the U S there was no simulator. There was nothing. Uh, and I got the contract from a UK company that wanted, uh, they, they had bought these three ATPs in Arizona and they had bought two in Bangladesh and they had found me, um, by accident. Um, but they found me and said, can you, can you bring these three from the U S and these two from Bangladesh to the UK? And Steve says, yes. What's an ATP? Right. So that, you know, same old thing. Um, and what I found out very quickly was, hmm, there is literally nobody current on the ATP with a U.S. certificate in the U.S. at the moment. Nobody. There's no simulator. There's nothing. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Um, and so what we did is uh, I, I talked to my friend Joe, um, another ferry pilot, and said, i got this dilemma. What do you think? And what we came up with was, let's find the last people that flew these into the desert. In other words, the most current, even though that was several years before. See if they still have, if they're still flying, if they're current in something, if they still still have certificates. Um, and let's see if they'll be interested in helping us out. Then we can talk to the FAA um, and... Uh, and see if we can come up with something that makes them happy for currency in, you know, three takeoffs and landings or something. Um, yeah. And so what we found in the logbooks was a, a couple of names. Uh, one guy who at the time was working for Chautauqua um, and I called him and he said, I just can't, I'm sorry, I've got stuff going on, blah, 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 no problem. And then John, um, who at the time was working for a regional over here, was a fleet, fleet manager at, the re at a regional here. And he said, uh, well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, and so we, I said to him, okay, great. We'll, we'll meet in Kingman and we'll, you know, as I always did with everybody, um, I, I didn't, I, I always paid up front um, in cash, however you want it, paid up front and then we can just relax. There's no money issues and we can just, we can just do this. So let's agree an amount that you would be happy with and let's say it's going to take between three and five days. And, um, but we'll do it as quickly as we can. The money doesn't change. Depend, you know, you're going to get this anyway. This is yours up front yeah. in your pocket. Um, and, uh, 
and you know i'll cover every all the costs on the way and we met in kingman and i said well, you know uh, he said you know i'll, I'll look uh, uh i kind of look like um uh niles crane from uh from from uh, frazier uh, he said you, you'll see me and i'll probably be drinking a diet pepsi like okay and <laughs> and sure enough there he was there was niles crane and he was drinking a diet pepsi and it is one of those things, Scott, that, you know, there are people, there are so many people that you meet that you immediately click with. And it's funny that you kind of know that they're going to influence more than what you're doing right now. And I knew immediately yeah. that John and I were, we had some kind of a connection. There was something there. And um, so, yeah, we, we met and we, yeah, we, we, uh, we figured out with the FAA, they were happy. We were happy. We we're, we we're going to fly this thing back. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I said to him, you know, what, what do you need for the trip? I'm going to go do a Walmart run then we'll get some snacks. We'll get some things, whatever you need. And he said, I need a, I need a case, a crate of diet Pepsi because I, I just, I have to have my diet Pepsi. And so sure, that's an easy request. I can get that. That's easy. And, you know, I, put it on board. And of course I didn't realize I put it, uh, I put it in the, you know, the, the late bag, um, compartment that, you know, doesn't open from the inside once the outside is closed. Um, so that the passengers couldn't get to the, you know, to these bags, even though they were inside the cabin, uh, they couldn't, yeah. them if the outdoor, the outdoor, uh, was closed. And so, yeah, partway through the, the first leg on the way to Duluth, uh, he, uh, he said, you know, Oh, go back there and give me a diet Pepsi. Will and of course I couldn't get it. And I thought, ah, oh, you idiot, of course. And so I went back to him and said, ah, sorry, John, you're gonna have to wait until we get to, uh, get to Duluth. Uh, I can't get you diet Pepsi. And he said, great, we'll land. I'm like, what? <laughs> Hang on a second. You can, you're going to land because you can't get diet Pepsi. And he said, yeah, uh, we can't do that. That's, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're going, we're, we're, we're on our way to Duluth. We're trying to do this in a couple of days and get you back home. And, uh, and, but he was, he, he carried on. Um, and, uh, but he was not happy. <laughs> and he, he landed <laughs> and we, we joked about it. I mean, he, he had a bit of, it wasn't just, it wasn't just that he liked diet Pepsi. He, I mean, he, he really wasn't. He needed diet. Pepsi. He needed yeah. it. Yeah. So it was always on the on the cockpit floor, and you know, it was always there, ready for him. And uh, yeah, and of course, John was. Um, I I didn't know it at the time, but that was that was my link. I was I was getting married. Um, you know, I was marrying Andrea, and I was starting to get these thoughts about you know, is is this next airplane my coffin, and all of these bad things, and you know the 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 lure of, um, uh, uh, or the, the, the offer in fact, from John of, you know, will you quit your whining, you know, come and fly at RJ for 20 bucks an hour. If that'll shut you up, that throwaway comment, you know, which actually at the time I had a very successful ferry in business, things were great. You know, as everything was good. Um, but I had these bad thoughts going through my mind and I, I was about to get married and, I kind of needed a schedule. I needed more stability. I needed something that was a little less risky. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, because it wasn't just me now, it was, it was two of us. And, and so, uh, yeah, I kind of called him out on it and said, 
yeah, actually, I am interested in that. And so my my interview took place halfway across the Atlantic in an ATP. <laughs> That's really cool. And so was... <clears throat> how shortly after you flew with John did you get hired at, uh, can we say the uh, airline? It was Air Wisconsin? Air Wisconsin, yeah. Um, uh, that was maybe maybe a year just on okay. maybe was there was there a part of you that was hoping to um i'm assuming you were always uh hoping to work for some type of mainline or you know operation or whatnot was there a part of you that was hoping to skip the regional step with the ferry experience no no i was Honest, honestly, Scott, I was so focused on on the ferrying, and I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the flying. It was varied. I was going to all of these places. I didn't know what was going to be next, and I was enjoying it. I had, I want to say, I hadn't forgotten about airline flying, but it was way in the back of my mind. I was quite happy, you know, especially by that stage. Okay. I built the reputation that that you know I could, um, you know, people were using me to fly to fly airliners you know um and this is great i was still flying the small stuff because that you know these jobs were few and far between uh but but i was getting to to fly these these airplanes and i mean i was having a blast i was enjoying it um but then uh it's interesting because once the opportunity to fly for the regional for to fly the crj as it was for the regional got into my head Nothing else mattered. Now my focus was, okay, this is awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out what it's like to be an airline pilot, um, you know. And and then that was it. I was on that track now, you know. And and nothing, nothing else That's, was going through my head. This is really interesting because until a minute ago, I had been looking at this as the thing you did to get your experience to get to your destination as you know major airline captain but i mean and and yes in one sense it was but that wasn't the intent the intent was you just wanted to fly yeah and and ferrying provided you with an exciting opportunity yeah it's it's always been that and it's it's all you needed at that time it's always been that it it started out as you know um uh air force okay great if it means i can fly i'll join you can't join yeah okay what else can i do airline right great what do i need to do as long as i can fly i'll do it can't do that okay what else can i do oh come and fly these airplanes for us okay great i'm gonna pay you to fly these air fly these airplanes great i'll do it because i can fly uh come and work for the regional you're gonna pay me to fly this great i'll go do that you know it's it's it kind of was. It, it's kind of just trying to keep it going, if any, you know, sure. in some ways. Um, you know, the 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 dream was always just to fly professionally, um, to have someone pay me to fly. Um, yeah. Where that goes and and what I end up flying is it, it's irrelevant. I you know it doesn't matter. Um, uh, I just I just I want to have that life. I want to. And I love the fact, you know, I actually thought that the airline world would become so dull and boring. But the truth is, the same as you. I don't know where I'm flying in May. I don't know yet. 
do we don't have our schedules? I don't know where I'm going. That's that's amazing to me. I love that. I love the fact that I don't know where I'm going. And I Was love that... the fact that, you know, as in la like my last month, the first time I ever went to Costa Rica, I'd never been to Costa Rica before. That's exciting to me. That's, you know, this is cool. Uh, I, I really enjoy this. The new gig on the new plane at our company, or it's not new to the company, but new yeah. to us. Um, that's the reason why I went to it. I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of going to Columbus. I mean, even though I've, I've got cousins who are cool in Columbus, but yeah, I need, I need to do more. I need to go more places. And this is Rome and the Romans are not flying Airbuses anymore. You know, the Romans yeah. are flying 737s yeah. and you know, for me, uh, going to Hawaii, it's the first time I've gotten to do that because I was New York based uh, at the uh, at the old gig, and so we didn't get that opportunity. and And I love that. I love, I love. For me, I want to be one leg a day, McGee. So first leg, Newark. Day two, somewhere on the West Coast. Day three, Hawaii. Day four, L.A. Totally up my up yeah. my alley. You know, and it's an opportunity that you and I have on the 7-3 that if you're at a bigger network carrier, one that employs wide bodies and all that other stuff, uh, you don't get to fly the 7-3 like this. I've got a friend uh, who's a wide body FO at, at uh, one of the big three, and uh, I showed him my schedule. He's like, oh. If I could bid that, I'd do the 7-3 in a heartbeat, but he doesn't yeah. want to fly the 7-3 because he doesn't want to be stuck going, you know, Newark, Syracuse, Newark, Boston, Newark, D.C., you know, in right. one day. Right. And uh, so I, I think it's a it's a cool bit of flying we get to do and getting to go all over the states, up to Alaska, down to Mexico and the islands. and Yeah. You know, and it's it isn't it's not so different from the reason that I enjoyed the ferry flying, which is you you not only get to fly to some cool places, you not only get to um, to explore and and you know people watch and and in, in, and you know understand different cultures. You know, I said something that you know my uh, my the ferry flying was my education. You know, I did I didn't pay attention at school. It was boring. Um, going to these places and seeing them and un and trying to understand that was my education and it was it, it's fascinating but also the people that you meet you know as a result of this job you know uh, there's there's and and some of them are just the they're so random um but you're in you're in it so you you bump into these people i'll give you a good example are, are, are we good to carry on with this <laughs> this is going to be a really oh, please long... i'm uh, i i am <laughs> I'm I'm in it for however long we get we get it to you know and okay. if people are interested they'll keep listening and if not right. they won't I, okay well I don't um, care I'm uh, interested well you know for anyone that made it this far the sex drugs and rock and roll are going to be in the next hour so stay with me <laughs> <laughs> no 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 let me uh, let me just tell you this 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 is this is the kind of thing that that um that that keeps me so enthusiastic about aviation. So here's a little story. About, um, I want to say six or seven years ago, uh, I was flying the Airbus um, from Seattle to San Francisco. 
and it was a beautiful day. And we we were we're coming in, and they they said, you know, oh, you're you're going to be on two eight right uh, down the bay, two eight right. Uh, there's a Lufthansa A three forty on two eight left. Have you got him? Yep. Oh, beautiful. And uh, and so we're but we're coming in on this parallel approach now. As you as you know, Scott, um, when we're doing those close parallel approaches, we'll put our TCAS unit to TA only. Um, now, I didn't know that Lufthansa do not do that. Uh, so I, you know, got in about the same distance as I normally would um, uh, on a beautiful day, but it triggered the Lufthansa A340, and they responded by going down. And we're getting to the San Mateo Bridge, so they're pretty low anyway. Now, it wasn't unsafe. It was just a response um, by the Lufthansa crew. And the tower said, hey, uh, Lufthansa, you know, what's your altitude? And they said, okay, we're responding to an RA. And I thought, oh, hang on a minute, that's us. So I backed off a little bit, like, okay. And we both landed. No more came of it. Everything's great. And and uh, we taxied in, and I started to drive home. And our operations people called me and said, hey, so the tower just put through this German guy and he was trying to track down <laughs> the captain of this Airbus. It happened to be your Airbus, and he he wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh, the last thing I need is some crusty old German guy, blah, 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 blah. I thought, no, no, no. And then I thought, oh, ah. I just, and I said, did he sound okay? And they said, he sounded fine. Like, okay, give me his number. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to regret this. I'm definitely going to regret this. So I, um, I sent him a text and said, look, I don't want to disrupt your overnight. I know you're probably getting some sleep, but hey, I'm off tomorrow. If you want to give me a call, give me a call. And so the next, mo the next uh, morning, he called me. I was in my car, and uh, he said, uh, I said, hello, this is Steve. And he said, hello, this is Stefan from Lufthansa. I said, ah, hello, Stefan. And I said, how are you today? And he said, much better than I was yesterday. I said, okay, good. And I said, before you go any further, I think I know what happened. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I know what happened. He said, it's, it's, all, it's all good. He said, what, what I would like is um, I would like to use this event uh, to try and persuade my company to allow us to go to TA only on these close parallel approaches. I said, whoa, uh, of course, absolutely. Um, uh, I, I said, in fact, I can, I can send you the page from our manual that shows that, you know, that that's what we do. Great. Um, he said, okay, that, that's great. That's what I'm going to do with your, with your permission. Absolutely. Of course you can. Uh, and he said, you know, I really love coming to San Francisco. He said, I'm almost, I've always almost been here a hundred times. I'm going to come up to my hundredth San Francisco flight soon. I love the city. I love hanging out. And he said, do you live locally? Yes. Well, let's get together and uh, have a beer. And I said, okay, let's do that. Uh, and so we did. Uh, and so we met up and we have, an, we have a similar interest in motorcycles. And we had a beer. We went up to Alice's restaurant. We took, took the crew. He read the book, um, which I didn't know. I didn't know he had read it at the time. Um, and so we, he, we started to meet up and have this friendship. Um, uh, he also at, um, at our, our former airline, uh, Airbus airline, um, he and his family were, were over in the U S and 
he said to me, oh, I'm flying on your airline. Um, are you flying the flight? I wasn't, but I found the guy that was. And I said, hey, can you look after these guys? They're good friends. And so, of course, they they went overboard, brought him into the cockpit during the boarding, you know, really showed him a good time, gave him some drinks, gave him some food, looked after them. Uh, and now, I want to say about two years ago, uh, my wife was at, uh, had a conference in, uh, in Prague and I had just finished a trip and I thought I could go home or I could go to Prague for a couple of days because that's the freedom that we have in this job to do. That's the good yeah. stuff. And so I thought, I'm going to go to Prague. So I called her and said, would I be in the way if I came to Prague and saw you? She said, no, no, come. So we went there and we're sat at this little coffee shop on a corner and I get a text message from Stefan, and he says, can I give you a call? And I said something back saying, uh, can I call you in a, in a day or two, unless it's urgent, um, because we're in Prague right now. And he said, oh, where in Prague are you? And I told him, and he said, ah, my daughter Julia is there right now. Um, would you like to meet her for a beer tonight? Sure, absolutely, why not? We meet, I swear there's a point to this. We meet for we meet for a beer that night, and it's her and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend is in uh, medical school in Prague. That's why she's there to visit him. And Andrea is a, a veterinarian, so she's in the medical field as well. So those two are chatting away about medical stuff, long words and things that we don't understand. And so they're talk, chatting away, and I start talking to Julia, and uh, and I said, you know, well, so what, what's in your future? Are you are you you know, are you heading to the airlines or? And what she said was quite interesting that, you know, she had an interest in the airlines, but it's a very difficult process to get into the airlines in Europe. Very, very difficult. Um, and especially a place like Lufthansa, you know, you, you have to, it's a cadetship. So you have to go through multiple interviews and tests and all of this other stuff to get into the program. And then they teach you to fly and what came out of the conversation that I had with her was that, you know, uh, she would like to do it. Um, and her dad had never pushed her to do it. Um, but she thought that he kind of wanted her to do it too. Um, but they'd never really, he didn't want to push her or anything. But she was concerned and worried about not making it, not, uh, you know, not making it through the process. And she didn't even know if she if she was able to fly. She didn't know if it, you know how what it was like to fly. And so I said to her, you know, the next time that your dad has a Los Angeles layover, come with him, come and stay with us, and I'll take you up in our little Grumman, and you can fly. And so that happened. Uh, so me, Stefan, and Julia went and flew our little Grumman around. She's a natural. I mean, she's smooth smooth and smooth she's absolutely yeah. she's no problem <clears throat> stefan saw it i saw it and the conversation was well if you're worried about the flying side you've got no worries uh now it's just the academics yeah. is getting through the tests and things uh well as a result of that she decided to go for it and uh she ended up getting a position with lufthansa um as a cadet pilot and she was supposed to start training last year. Obviously, the pandemic stopped that. But from a TCAS RA event over the San Mateo Bridge seven years ago, 
has now led to a very strong friendship with uh, with Stefan, my friend from Lufthansa, and a potential next step for his daughter into a career to follow uh, to follow her dad into Lufthansa um, as an airline pilot. That to me, you couldn't write that stuff, but it's only because we're in it and and we meet these amazing people of like-minded people um and uh you know if you if you're just willing to go to go with things um uh with the fate that's in front of us those kind of things happen you know and julia will absolutely succeed um you know she's it's it's difficult right now she's paused uh, because yeah. of the pandemic but uh no question in my mind she'll 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 get to lufthansa and uh, you know, who knows? She she may well re- uh, fly the retirement flight for her dad, um, but, and all of that came from a TCAS RA in San Francisco. It's also my understanding that uh, oh, that's super cool, and it's another reason why you remind me of my father, which I'll get to in a minute. But it's my impression that Europe is uh, substantially more uh, log jammed than the United States right now when it comes to uh, pilot jobs, pilot hiring. Very much. Uh, would she consider, you know, exploring uh, options in the States right now? Well, um, that's difficult because of work permits. Um, so that's, that's difficult. Um, uh, you know, I, I was able to, to join Air Wisconsin, um, uh, based on an initial work permit, but you know, I was getting married. Um, so that, yeah. and my wife's American. Um, and so okay. that's, that's, that was that, but it, unless, unless, uh, the pilots, the pilot, a uh, pilot shortage exists to such an extent that that is put onto a list of opportunities for foreign nationals, uh, she wouldn't be able to do that. Now she did, oh, she okay. going to do all of her flight training in, in Arizona because, um, I think it's Arizona. Yeah. Arizona, uh, because Lufthansa trains their pilots over here, uh, because the weather's yeah. so nice um and it's cheaper uh but but yeah she she wouldn't actually be able to to get a job here uh unless we can find her husband (laughs) (laughs) so two more ways that you remind me of my father one my father owned a half share of a de havilland tiger moth wow that's cool yeah uh in fact that was uh my first uh airplane incident that I caused uh, wasn't an, not an incident, just a, let's say a mishap. I was uh, two or three years old and I was in the, uh, I forget if it was the back or front seat with, with my mom and my dad was in the other one, whichever, which, whether it, I forget whether or not you flew from the front or the back. And, uh, but I was sitting right next to the fuel shutoff line and I pulled it probably somewhere right about rotation and uh, and the engine stopped uh, pretty promptly, and 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 thankfully there was enough overrun on the field at Solberg Airport where uh, where my dad was able to put it back down. Uh, so you know That's you've cool. got your uh, De Havilland chipmunk. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, that's very weird. I actually so so this is a weird thing actually, Scott. That I'm so I wrote this thing, this book, and uh, it. Again, it wasn't supposed to be a book. Um, but then when I had enough stories, I thought, okay, it would be kind of cool to have a book that I wrote on my shelf. So I could turn this into a book just for me. 
just to say, oh, that's my book that I wrote on the shelf, on the bookshelf. And then I thought, no, I, what I should do is I should make a few of them and I should send them to the people that are in the book or people that I'm still in contact with from the Ferian days as a, you know, these are, remember these weird things that happened? This is funny, huh? So yeah. I thought, okay, I'll make some more of these. Well, of course, when you, when you, so I, I self-published it, not expecting to sell it, um, like I was saying before. Um, but as a result, it, it went onto Amazon and it was picked up by a magazine in the UK, an aviation magazine, who, who reviewed it and gave it a very nice review. And then it started to sell. And it was the weirdest feeling of, you know, strangers reading my, uh, my book. It, it's, it's, almost, you know, it's almost like I ran out into the middle of the street naked. It's like it's out there. You know, anyone yeah. that wants to look at it, have a look at it. You know, it's, it's, it's the weirdest feeling. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't supposed to be a book. And, um, but I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to write another chapter to it because so many things have happened since I wrote it that are, that are very weird closing of circles. Um, and it's, I, I actually already have a, a thought that it's, it's almost like a complete, complete the loop. You know, it's, it's um, because the chipmunk, okay, the chipmunk was the airplane that started me flying. It's the, you know, it, it, it put me in the air the first time. And an, that, that flight where the, uh, the guy told you to relax your grip. Relax the grip, smooth, smooth, smooth. You know, that first okay. flight, April 1986. And uh, so that was the one that got me going. That was, the, that was the flight. That was my first flight. And so I have an affection for the chipmunk. I, I have a connection to the chipmunk. And, and here I am uh, many years later um, as, an, as an airline pilot working for our, our airline. And, uh, and things are good. And I, I flew with a guy, Ian, um, super nice guy. Who, who moved on to another airline, but me and him had a, you know, we had both flown chipmunks in the, you know, as our air experience flights. And we had this connection and we were chatting away about chipmunks. And he sent me this. Um, Ian from, Ian from Cape Cod. Yes. Cape Cod. Yeah. So, yeah. So he sent me random out of the blue. He sent me this uh, trader plane advert uh, for this de Havilland chipmunk in Pennsylvania that looked exactly the same as the one that I flew um, and it was up for sale. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Obviously, I don't need to buy another airplane. I have a little Grumman Cheetah that my wife and I fly. I don't need another airplane, but this is really cool. This is a, this is a cool airplane. I'll call the guy. And I just thought, I'll just give the guy a call just to find out a little bit more. And we chatted for about an hour and a half and just hit it off, but with no intention on my part to, to buy another airplane. Why would I want to do that? But I just felt this connection to the airplane because I knew that it had been around at the time that I had flown for the first time. Well, Pete, the owner said, you know, I've had a bunch of tire kickers. Um, I've pe had people waste my time. And the truth is in a month, we have to give up our hangar. The hangar lease is done. And that's it. We're walking away. So it has to sell, sell by then. And uh, I said, well, okay, well, this isn't a financial decision for me per se. This is just nuts. I don't need to have an airplane like this. Uh, but I tell you what, just for fun, if you haven't sold it, 
couple of weeks before you have to give your hanger up, give me a call. And so he did. And so I got on a flight to Philadelphia, not really knowing why. Uh, and he, uh, we got to the airfield. He opened up the, air, the hangar, and here's this chipmunk. And I, before we even stepped in the hangar, I said, okay, I'll buy it. And that's it. He said, do you want to look at it? Nope. I, 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 it's, I want it. I'll look after it. And my, my overwhelming you know, desire was, I want to look after this airplane. You know, I, I want to I be the custodian. And I now, because of that first chipmunk, because of my career, because of where I am now, I have been given this opportunity financially to be able to be the custodian of this airplane. I can do that, you know, from, have, from coming from nothing um, and not knowing where the next penny would come from. I have been gifted this opportunity to take this piece of history that I have a connection to and look after it. And so I said to Pete, that's the deal. I'm not doing a transaction, a fight, and we're not negotiating. There's, not, there's nothing. This is what I'm going to give you because this is what you need out of it. What I'm doing is I'm taking this on as a personal thing for me to look after this airplane. Come and fly whenever you like, um, but my plan is to just you know, uh, show it off and let other people see it and take people flying. And, and so that was it. I, but unfortunately, I then remembered that, number one, I hadn't flown tailwheel in about 17 years. Uh, I had never sat in the front seat of the chipmunk. I'd only ever sat in the back seat. I knew nothing about this airplane, nothing. Um, yeah. And uh, I didn't know anything about the maintenance of this kind of an airplane or, or anything about it. And, uh, and as we were chatting away on that first day, looking at the chipmunk in Pennsylvania, on this field in Pennsylvania, um, Pete's phone rang um, and I had only just met Pete, the owner of the chipmunk at the time. And he, he answered the phone and said, Hey, hello, it's Pete. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The new owner is standing next to me. Here he is. And he hands me the phone and I thought, Whoa, hang on a second. What, <laughs> what is going on here? And this English voice says something along the lines of, um, uh, Oh, hello, old boy. Uh, I hear that I may have a playmate in California. And I said, who is this? And he said, oh, my name's Richard. I have a chipmunk uh, based at Flaybob in Riverside. And I hear you're going to be my playmate now. You've just bought Pete's chipmunk. And I thought, whoa, this is nuts. Um, and I said to him, great. I've been worried about maintenance. Who, who do you use? He said, don't worry about that. I've got you. We've got everything set up here. We've got maintenance on the field. They know this engine. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of resources. He's an encyclopedia of chipmunks. Uh, and he has now become a great friend. And we're formation flying the chipmunks um, to, you know, with the intent of going to air shows and showing these, these airplanes That's off. Cool. You know, and his chipmunk is, is one that went around the world um, as part of an RAF expedition in 1997. And uh, uh, so he has this amazing piece of history um, that he's spent, you know, a lot of his time and resource um, putting this airplane in, into, you know, a, a rest, a restoring it mainly. Uh, mine I'm trying to preserve because it's still in the same condition from the Air Force days. His is, uh, you know, very historic and there are parts of it that are preserved, but he's, 
he's really trying to to restore it. Um, uh, and so the two really complement each other very well. Um, and uh, yeah, so he 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 just actually helped to rewrite a book of that the his chipmunk flying around the world in 1997. Uh, wow. And again, all of that. The reason he knew that I was in Pennsylvania is, is because I put a little Instagram post on uh, that said, "Oh, I'm out. You know, I'm out in Pennsylvania to look at this chipmunk. Isn't this cool?" Um, that was seen by an airline pilot, for, uh, airline pilot in the UK that was friends with Richard, who had the chipmunk, who I don't, I didn't know any of these two people at the time. Uh, Richard found out that, or, or you know, he has a database of who owns which chipmunk in the U.S. Found out it was Pete. Has his number. Calls Pete. Pete says, "I've just sold it. Here's the guy." And there you go. Now we're be- now we're best friends. <laughs> that is cool. Do you keep the chipmunk in Riverside, or do you keep it out in Palm Springs? I keep it at Thermal, which is just is in the Palm Springs area. Uh, but it, okay. it has its maintenance done at Flaybob uh, in Riverside. So it's actually there at the moment having its annual done. Um, and uh, it's it's just, it's insane. I, I mean, if I think back, I, there is no world that exists that, that has me, number one, flying as an airline pilot, living in California and owning uh, a Grumman Cheetah, which is the plane that I first flew solo in, and a Chipmunk, which is a f- plane that I first flew in. That's nuts. That's absolutely bonkers. It's nuts. Uh, but yeah. here I am. This is me. Okay, so I remember the name of uh, of El Capitan guy. It's Alex Honnold. Oh yeah, he was the the star of Free Solo. Do you remember that toughest move that he had to do in the in the uh, where he had to like do like the one leg extended karate kick to get from one section to the other, and that right. was at least in the movie, what the, uh, what the biggest dramatic, you know, part for him to clear was. Right. Uh, in the section of your book called Broken Wing, you talk about flying an archer. Yeah. Uh, which you went from Goose Bay to Narsarswak. I'm not sure if I said that correctly. Narsarswak. And then Narsarswak. And then between Narsarswak and where did you go next? Uh, Iceland? Uh, Keflavik, yeah. Yeah, Keflavik or Reykjavik, yeah. You started to ice up. Yeah. And was it, it was a, a friend of yours, was it a friend who had passed on uh, who gave you some advice on how you could clear ice from your plane? Yeah, yeah it was a guy that, another ferry pilot that, um, you remember I was saying before about taking little nuggets from people? Yeah. And uh, and so I, I was at uh, Trapper's Bar in um, Goose Bay, which is a, a really cool bar. A lot of lot of you know uh, visiting military people hang out there, um, and it's a place where you cook your own steak and all that kind of stuff. It's a proper old trapper's bar, you know. It's it's great place, great place. And I was chatting away to this guy who was a ferry pilot, and he he was telling me, as far as I was concerned, all these bullshit stories of you know how great he was and how you know he because I was I wasn't that new to it but i you know he had more experience in in ferrying than um and so uh he had said he had told this story of you know um icing up and or a friend iced up i, I don't even remember now but so uh, somebody icing up and using you know well you just you just want to use the spray from the sea 
you know, it's salt water, so it'll, it'll clear the ice from your plane. I just drank my beer and like, yep, this is, these are great yarns. You know, this is, uh, this is one of them nights and, you know, finish mistake and eat, drink my beer and go to bed. Well, you know, of course, later flying this Archer, um, it was, uh, it was just one of those flights that, um, the, your, your classic low pressure system with, you know, the cold front, you know, catching up to the warm front and, and I was going through all of those three air masses, you know, en route. I didn't expect them to be as bad, but, um, of course, you know, it, it, it is dangerous flying these small airplanes across the, the Atlantic. But the nice thing that you have when you're flying across the oceans is you don't have terrain, you know, you can, and there's nobody else in the airspace. You're the only lunatic there. So your altitude is whatever altitude you want. There's no radar. There's no nothing. Whatever works for you, that's what you're going to fly. The airliners are way above you. There's, you know, there's no other. There's the the chances of two Cessna 172s coming across the, you know, either side of the Atlantic and meeting in the middle is just so astronomical that you don't even think about it. And so yeah. when you have things like icing, um, you know, because generally I would like to go high to catch a wind. Um, but it, when you have things like icing, you can usually find a level and clear it off. Well, on this particular day, um, this archer was not clearing and I was going lower and lower and lower. And I, I probably should have been going higher to be fair, but I had already made my decision and I was, it was not clearing and it was, it was pouring onto the airplane. And I was looking at the airspeed thinking this thing is going to start, stop flying pretty soon. You know, and and this this could get kind of tricky um, th because it didn't have a lot of power in the first place. It had a heavy ferry tank in the back, um, and uh, so I I just thought, well, how low can I go? And then I remembered this guy because I was, you know, we we're talking about the options again. What are the options? Okay, go up or go down. I chose an option, go down. It was the wrong one, I think but I, I started to go down. But once I've made that decision, now what are my new options? My new options are go down as low as you can to get out the clouds. I went down, I did get below the clouds, uh, so I could see the, the, the surface of the Atlantic, um, but the ice was still on board. I, I, I mean, there's, I couldn't go back up. Uh, I would basically be flying the Atlantic at, at you know 20 feet. It's ridiculous. You know, I can't do that. Um, and so, uh, what now, what are my options? And I thought, well, is this really an option? You know, do you, I wonder if there's any truth to this, to using sea spray, you know, sea, salt, uh, salt water spray from the crest of waves, from the tops of waves, you know, maybe if I could just catch a little bit, it would help. I could break a little bit off or it would start the process of getting rid of some of the ice and then I could go back up because it was windy enough that I could see the spray, you know, uh, coming from the tops of yeah. the way. And I thought if I could just catch one of those at like 10 or 15 feet, maybe, um, you know, maybe I can, I, maybe this will work. And uh, so I, I went down and down and down and down. And I was literally right at the tops of the waves trying to catch this spray because once I had decided to do it, I thought, okay, I'm in, I'm focused. And I, I, I don't think I realized how low I was getting. And, I, and sure as anything, 
a wash of water, you know, from spray came over the plane. It, it scared me, you know, because I immediately pulled up because I thought I was being dragged in. Um, yeah. But it, it, the spray got me. And I, I kind of pulled back and, okay. And the, the windscreen kind of cleared a little bit. And you're kidding me. The, the ice is way less than it was before. Like, you have got to be kidding me. Okay. Um, I wonder if I could do that again. And now it's a, how low do I dare to go? Because it looked as if the spray was much higher, but you really had to get in there. You know, you had to get down. Yeah. So down I went again and I, you know, I did it a couple of times and then I lost my bottle. I thought this is good enough. It, it had really yeah. definitely cleared. And, and so I was able to start to come back up again, you know, just, a, just little increments to come back up. Um, and of course, then I went through that front into another uh, sector air mass. And, you know, the next thing that came was just insane turbulence. You know, just, it's like, what is this flight? I mean, this is nuts. Um, just ridiculous turbulence. The plane was just all over the place. Um, and I was just along for the ride. Um, but, you know, I actually did think if I still, if I was still carrying that ice, there's no way that I would have had the, the 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 stall speed would have been so high that I would probably have stalled um, if I hadn't have cleared some of that ice off um, to yeah. go then through that turbulence. And uh, uh, so yeah, that that was quite that that's the thing I think anyone anyone that reads this book that's the bit that they normally talk to me about. When I wrote it, I thought yeah I should put that in there because that was kind of crazy, but it, I didn't realize that was a thing that was going to be you know that was really going to jump out, but. I suppose now when I look back at it, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> but it it's works. entirely insane. It and I wonder, I, I got to imagine there might be a person or two who gets a little incredulous when they, when, they, when they read that part. Like, come on, did, did that really happen? Yeah. But, uh, that, I got nothing. I mean, it's just, yeah, it works. <laughs> it, <laughs> so I remember at that point you said that your legs were aching possibly from the strain on the lap belt. I have a different theory maybe mm -hmm. uh, to why your legs were aching and the adrenaline and the stress of the situation. Mm, that's interesting. I've, yeah. I've had one or two days in aviation where the stress of what I went through got so bad that all of a sudden later in the day, all of a sudden my legs were aching and I didn't, know why and then someone much later explained to me that uh you know adrenaline can really cause uh the legs to ache and and i mean interest of all the tales you have i would say that that flight was would you rank that flight as the hairiest one in retrospect probably yes not at the time it was after i landed when i found out that the spar was cracked um yeah that brought it home that that did bring it home that ooh that that really was that was really close you know i didn't i wasn't aware of it at the time um but i remembered that turbulence and thought wow that's that was close do you, you, know. you believe that you received the plane with the spark crack or do you yeah. think that oh, the turbulence sure. cracked the spark no it, it was okay. it was uh investigated and from what i heard uh there was a pre i, I believe the story goes that, that this plane was taxied into the side of a hangar. 
it created a, a you know it had it had some issue it was repaired not necessarily logged um yeah and the repair wasn't particularly good and then the plane was sold um and so you know and then it, over time it had opened up a little bit more it's it's what i what i understand um and so yeah that's uh that was yeah that one was close yeah and i actually thought i was actually very annoyed because i picked that plane up in florida and um uh my wife and i were going to a wedding in new york and i said well let's let's use the archer because i'm going that way anyway and so you know, my wife flew in it and she flew it. Um, you know, she didn't have her license, yeah. time, but um, she sat in the left seat. I sat in the right seat and we flew it up to New York together. And uh, on the way, you know, she then took a commercial flight back home and I carried on across the Atlantic. And uh, and I, I was kind of angry because not, you know, it wasn't for me, it was for her that that she had been in that plane and it could have failed at any time, let's be honest. Um, yeah. In some ways, one of the one of the mechanics in England said by putting this ferry tank on top of that area that had the crack, it actually spread it out a little bit more. It actually made it actually strengthened it, and it may have prevented it from cracking even more. Um, so it was it was probably in a worse shape when it was just the two of us flying the airplane than it was with a big ferry tank in the back of it, um, because it yeah. was spreading the load over the spar. Um, but yeah, that that one made me angry and it the reality of that was yeah i'm st i'm starting to run out of luck here <laughs> so yeah yeah um so when you were being hosted at the archer owner's house yeah you mentioned um you wanted to know how the servers liked working there and you but you never got the chance to to ask them yeah. Uh, for some reason, that sort of resonated with me because, it, you know, interestingly, uh, there are so many people who get into aviation for reasons other than they love aviation. Uh, some people do this job because they think they're going to, you know, get paid well and get a ton of time off and then... Yeah you can see that they feel prisoners of their own life, you know, 15, right. 20 years in when they realize, Oh my goodness, I can't go make a leap to a different company. You know, my, my company just closed my base. I can't yeah. go to another company without getting a two thirds cut in pay help. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a prisoner here. Uh, so it's just interesting because, you know, who's more of a prisoner in their own career? You know, uh, uh, someone who's working as a servant in a house, but it's it's near where they grew up. It's, you know, they're near the people they love or someone who got into aviation for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I, I got to OK, so there's so um, uh, I never got into aviation for money. That wasn't my goal. Um, yeah, no, uh, that, that that wasn't what motivated me to do it. Um, uh, I've, I've never been motivated by, by money. Um, uh, money's great. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And I want to be paid fairly. I, you know, I, I, Absolutely. I, 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 I have no problem with that, but it's interesting. So, uh, Richard Branson had a quote that was along the lines of, um, when, when he, 
when he presents to a room full of successful people, he doesn't see bank balances above their heads. They're successful for things they've done in their life, not for how much they've accumulated in their bank account. That's me. That's where I am. I'm exactly the same. I don't, I don't, for me, success is not measured in the amount of money you can accumulate. Um, success is, is what you can, what you can do during your life and, you know, how you can influence things or people or, or whatever during your life. Um, and, you know, coming, coming, there are so many people that help me along the way that I, I feel duty bound to give back some of that, you know, for them. And, uh, and now that's what the opportunity is, you know, I'm, I don't want to come off as a, you know, holier than now or anything, but the, that's the truth. That's, that's the absolute truth. Um, there, there's a lot of guilt, um, that I, that I carry, uh, but I know, I know the process. People went out of their way to help me out that didn't get anything in return, except, you know, Pam with her food parcels, all of these things. They went out of their way to help me because they saw that I had this, I was on this journey and I was heading somewhere and they felt good to help me along that journey. And now they can see that I made it. Now it's yeah. my turn. Now I have to do that. And, you know, the biggest satisfaction I have is not looking at how much I made this month. The biggest satisfaction is having the kid come up in the cockpit during boarding and really showing an interest. You know, the, 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 the good stuff for me is taking somebody up in the Grumman, in the chipmunk, you know, is it, who had never been up before, you know, or, or something like that, um, where I can do a little bit more, you know, taking Julia up in the, in the Grumman to allow her to continue on her journey, wherever that may go. You know, these are yeah. the things that, that for me, I can, I can sleep well and rest well. I, that's got nothing to do with how much money I'm going to make next month. You know, yeah. as nice as that is, I still, you know, we, I still have to pay a mortgage. I still have to maintain the plane. I have to, you know, these things, but, I, but it's not the, it's not the motivation for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. That's actually the big part of the reason why I am doing these interviews. Um, I'm choosing people very purposefully and with intention of, uh, you all have sought after something that wasn't money, you know, sought to, to go after what you were creatively inspired to achieve, to overcome obstacles and still, you know, achieve something along the lines of your dreams. The difference that you'd like to make in other people's lives is inspiring them towards something that, you know, you find fulfilling to your own purpose. Um, and it's, it's also very much uh, in the spirit of my father. Uh, I just bumped into uh, a friend of mine and, uh, who is the uh the the whatever the equivalent united airlines has as the uh the 737 fleet captain mm -hmm. um and how we're connected is actually his father was one of my father's best friends and my dad took this guy on his first flight when he was probably eight years old in his cherokee six and similarly to you being in that uh seaplane where you sat in the captain's seat, once that kid, you know, 
took his first flight in my dad's plane, he knew that that's what he wanted to do with the rest of his yeah. life. You know, went on to UND with, you know, a 4.0 and was basically hired at United Airlines less than a year after he uh, he graduated UND. And, and now he's, you know, had a very successful career at United Airlines. And, uh, and it's just seeing that, that sort of infectious spirit and, I, you know, the purpose, one of the purpose of me doing these interviews are I just, someone who's interested in flying and has a similar uh, love, who's who's young and might, you know, is going to want to hear your story, you know, and they're going to want to hear yeah. how someone overcame their obstacles. You know, some of us has, have had it easier. I, I, I will, I'm slightly embarrassed to tell you, uh, I was spoiled. My father had a Geronimo Apache when I was a flight instructor. And uh, if I took it flying, the fuel tanks magically got filled again with, <laughs> without me having to. I was taking friends to Block Island for lobster dinners, uh, yeah. you know, and, or go spending a day out on Martha's Vineyard. I had access to a to a to a Geronimo Apache multi-engine twin time. So I, I you know, I before I got hired at Great Lakes, I I had probably 150 200 hours of of twin time all just gifted to me by my yeah. dad but there's people like you overcame having to you know trick your landlord as far as getting what uh, a proper heated shower yeah or i've got another i've got another good friend uh he's a um he's a cathay pacific pilot he's a he's an irish national he won a green card lottery to come over here to the united states and uh, I met him in uh, Flight Safety Academy in Vero Beach. That's where we're getting all of our primary ratings um, or, you know, uh, private through commercial. And he worked for a moving company in Boston. And he would, you know, I think he had one or two credit cards. He'd go down to Flight Safety until that credit card maxed out. When it did, he'd head back up to Boston and he'd drive a moving truck for a summer or two to, to pay down the credit cards not, right. but 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 there are there's ways for literally anyone who has their path appropriately set on this career because they love it and they they think that they're going to be you know inspired to do it to to do it and achieve it you know and, well, and hopefully they are doing it because they love it not because they think it's going to offer cool days off and, and good pay because yeah you'll be miserable if that's what you chase. But yeah, I mean, the, the days off are, are never enough and the pay is never good enough. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the, the thing is, it's interesting what you said there, Scott, that, you know, um, here's the thing. You, you should feel no guilt at all because if I was in your position with those things given to me, I would have taken them too. Oh, now, no, it's not guilt. It's only mild embarrassment to say like... Okay. You know, all right, I'm going to call it guilt. So because of this reason, so what you what you were given was you were given some flight time, um, which was a little bit, it was an advantage. It was a little piece of advantage. And now, you know, where I came from, what I see is I was given a little bit of advantage. As an example, I have all of my arms and legs, you know, so it's the same thing. I was given what I was given. I was put into a situation where I was put in. You were given a situation and all you do is you follow it. You know, you decide whether or not you want to go for it or you don't. 
And then you look at your situation, whether you have legs, whether you have money, whether you have a, a Comanche available, it doesn't matter. We're all going the same way. You just look around and you see what you have and you use as much as you can to, to, to push through any barriers that are put up in front of you. And any airline pilot that says they haven't had barriers put up in front of them, how small or big, I mean, everybody's had them. And so sure. uh, we're all going the same way. Um, it's just some of us start out with something slightly different. Um, so we have to take a different route, um, you know. But, but again, like the guys we've flown with that, that have, don't have limbs, think of their journey, you know. And then when I think of mine, I think, yeah, you didn't have any money. Um, and, you know, you had to do this stu these stupid things to, to try and, you know, to follow this path towards where, where I am now. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 sure. I think it, everything happens for a reason. We know that. And so if you're willing to go, with, go along with it, then uh, good things will happen. So I've got a quote written here from, uh, from the Busted Duster chapter. Of your book. Mm -hmm. I am not aware that fatigue is seriously affecting my decision-making abilities. What I'm thinking about isn't that specific flight in the crop duster. You played an active role uh, in the ASAP program of an airline, right? Uh, Focum, uh, mainly, yeah. Uh, Focum. But, but so how well-running programs like Foqua and ASAP, mm -hmm. you told the story so that other people could learn from it. Mm. You know, for for those in the audience who have yet to get to an airline, or you know, one of the things that I, that is is truly marvelous is how safe airlines are right now. I mean, the mm -hmm. the level of safety is, I mean, it's nobody in 1980 could have predicted that that we would be in such a safe era of aviation right now. Mm -hmm. That. that I mean, what's it been like one person's died in the last 10 years yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the United States? It's, it's been, and the importance of pilots to feel safe enough to report their less than perfect decisions, their mistakes to the the company and the reporting system uh, around it. Do you, do you mind just talking for a second to that? And, yeah, for and sure. And the role you played? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, in the, it's the same old thing we, we were talking about before the the things that, you know, my experience came from a lot of my ferrying experience and, you know, actually seeing fatigue for the first time properly, um, was in that crop duster. That's what, that's why I wrote about it. Um, because, uh, and, and this is not my quote, but I completely understand it, which is, you know, if fatigue is the same as, as drinking, you know, if you drink enough, your uh, uh, alcohol, um, you get the same feeling as you're going to get when you're fatigued. And do you really, you know, nobody wants to see anybody in a cockpit or flying an airplane around that, that um, you know, has had some alcohol uh, recently. Well, you also do not, believe me, you don't want somebody in the cockpit that is also suffering from fatigue because the two are exactly the same. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, you know, I saw it in that in that uh, crop duster. Um, yeah, I got I got involved um, with the uh, uh, with the Foca program early in the airline. Um, the, you know, our, our previous airline, um, because of a guy called Don Olson, um, who's a super nice guy, and I was flying with him at the time, and we we were chatting away, and he's 
he's a he's he loves safety related things and he's a big advocate for ASAP for FOQA. Um, and we had a FOQA program manager, Jess, who uh, was just putting together this new FOQA program. Um, I didn't know much about the FOQA program, I gotta be honest. Um, but then I, I, you know, through Don, I met Jess and I realized that this was something really, really valuable um, because um, it's uh, it, it's something that, you know, when we, when we go flying, um, uh, there, there's no such thing as a perfect flight, you know. Um, the on, on if I'm not having a good day, um, that's not unsafe necessarily, but um, that's why I really like to have a good relationship with the first officer I'm flying because on my bad day, I need that person to back me up. On mm-hmm. that person's bad day, I'm gonna be there to back you up, you know. Now, if there's if there's something in the system um, uh, that that I see that um, that causes me concern, uh, if I say nothing, the next guy that comes through that same piece of airspace that experienced the same operational issue sees it and is going to say nothing. Sorry about that. It's a uh, it's a teenage party on my front door right now. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, basically, you know, we um, if 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 ten ten pilots or ten crews experience the same issue that causes them slight or or greater alarm in the same piece of airspace, if if they're not encouraged to say something about it because they just want to keep everything under wraps. Sooner or later, there's going to be a crew that comes through that are not on their good day, that are going to face this as a surprise, and something bad is going to happen. And you know what's going to happen, Scott, is is your wife and my wife and your kids are going to be on board that flight. Why do we need to put them through that? And so I switched on very quickly to this FOCA program, which was a a de-identified program, same as ASAP. You know, it doesn't focus on the pilot. It focuses on the issues because this is a very... As safe as as safe as the airspace system is, it's a very complex, a complex um, uh, and complicated system. Um, you know, our stick and rudder skills are not the most important thing that we have as a pilot these days. We're managing um, a, a very sophisticated machine in a very sophisticated airspace system, and so you're gonna have things that go wrong. You're gonna have things that that we see. Um, up front with our front, you know, our, our seat at the front of the, of the, uh, of the bus as it was, um, we're going to see those things. Um, how are they ever going to be addressed if we don't tell somebody? And the problem is the culture of, um, uh, of, uh, of d- disciplining somebody or, or belittling them because they, they face something that perhaps they didn't they didn't approach in the right way or they made a bad decision. Like me in the Archer, instead of going up to get rid of ice in, which would have been warmer air, I went down. That was a bad decision. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but that was just a decision that I made. Um, I mean, it, 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 we, but I was, I was gifted the opportunity to learn from that. Um, yeah. uh, why, why are we, you know, why not, um, allow us to gift our colleagues who are going to be flying our family and friends around 
that same information and that same experience. And that's what the that's what Foker and ASAP are all about, as far as I can see. And I switched onto this. It was it was obviously a really good program. And um, you know, we we approached it in the way um that you know, if we had an event, um, and I'm thinking of one in particular early on in our Foker program, where we 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 watched this replay of a video um because we see a generic aeroplane with the you know the the visuals like a flight simulator in it and you can watch the replay the flight in in, ter- in that respect you don't know when the flight was or where it you know any of that kind of stuff but i do remember this particular one um was into vegas and um it was a very unstable approach it was fast it was high it was not a good approach at all um and in those cases for that kind of an unstable approach we would expect um, uh, me, you, and every one of our colleagues. Let's let's get out of this and let's do it again. Um, this is not working. This is not good. Let's get out of it. Well, this crew landed very long, um, hit the brakes, um, and taxied off. As far as the passengers were concerned, it would have been you know, well, that was some heavy braking. The end. Nothing happened to the plane. Nothing happened to anybody else. But it's something that triggered, and we looked at it, and we rewatched this video. And so I, I contacted the crew to find out if there was anything more to this, because all we can see is a video. Uh, we don't see what was happening in the cockpit, in the airspace system, with air traffic control. And, and we would approach it with a, I wonder if there's more to the story. And what actually happened on this day was that um, they had through circumstances that started earlier, got into this unstable approach condition, they were going to go around because it wasn't working out, which is what anybody would do. However, at that time, across the runway came one of the sightseeing helicopters that was cleared to go across the airport. And the captain of the flight knew that if he went around from that position, he was putting himself and his airplane into jeopardy with that helicopter that helicopter should not really have been there um but it, it, at that point um it, you know he realized okay what are my options my options are land okay make sure you land as quickly as you can and we'll put the brakes on and we'll get the reverses on and that'll be that and that's what yeah. happened and and you could you know <clears throat> that kind of thing then led to in the old days you know if if people have found out about that in in airline management in the old days the pilot would have been the problem but what the pilot did was make make a safe decision um, based on circumstances around them Um, what we actually did with that was we went to vegas uh, air traffic control and we talked to them and we showed them this video and they changed their procedures they understood that okay, yeah, we we can see that, that's good. And they changed some procedures um, because of that. And there have been so many examples now where um, event, flights that haven't quite gone to plan, uh, that in the old days would have been, you know, what do you pilots think you're doing? When you actually take a step back and, and take a breath and listen to a narrative and try and understand the pieces that were involved in making a decision, um, you can, you know, in a number of times we've been able to, to 
to improve things, either procedures or with external vendors like air traffic control or maintenance or whoever it happens to be, um, to try and it, to continually improve this safety almost before things, you know, bad things happen because we're seeing snapshots, we're seeing snippets of flights and we're trying to get ahead of the game uh, before, you know, any bad stuff happens. And so um, it's a hard sell to pilots to say, hey, we can look at, we're, we're going to review your videos, you know, and when things go wrong, we're going to check them out. And usually when I would pick up a call to a pilot and say, hey, you remember that flight? Um, uh, the first thing we'd have to do is talk them back from the ledge. It's like, okay, get back from the window. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. We're all good. We're no, no issues. Walk back, walk back, walk back. Okay, now let's talk about it. And sometimes it would be, you know, it was a, it was a crappy approach. I shouldn't have landed. I should have gone around. Ah, I know better now. You know, that's it. We're, we're not interested in that stuff. That's gone. Finished. What we're looking for is the nuggets. We're looking for the gold that is um, uh, the, could this affect me or you on your next flight? Could we be in that same position? And it's a possibility that we might make a different decision. And that's going to make it harder. That's going to put the stress on. That's going to, that's, you know, that's going to uh, make my job and your job far more difficult and we've got 150 passengers behind us that are relying on us to yeah. make a good decision. Why make it harder uh, <clears throat> when, if we can just learn from some of these issues and, and that happen in the operation, we can make things easier. And that's basically what it is. Um, so I was, I was a big proponent of it. I, I really enjoyed my time doing, uh, doing the safety work. Um, uh, it's, the, the ASAP program in the same way, you know, it's it's set up in the same way. Um, it's not a get out of jail free card. It's not designed to be that. You know, if you if you if you go drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and go inverted upside down, um, you know, under the Golden Gate Bridge, well, you're you're done. There's no protection for you. But if you see an operational issue and you made a decision and it didn't quite work out the way you thought it would, this is just an opportunity to say, okay. Talk freely and open. Nothing's going to happen to you because the fact that you you didn't turn up for work this morning thinking, you know, I think I'm going to fly three unstable approaches today. You don't go to work to do that. You know, you're you're a safety manager as a as a pilot. You you know you want to get your passengers from A to B as safely as possible. Um, you you want the non-memorable flight. You want somebody to say, oh, how was your flight? You know, to one of the passengers. Um, say, how was your flight? It's like, that was fine. Brilliant. That's the best flight ever. You know, uh, it, it was fine. Um, great. Happy with that. Um, and, and that's what, you know, that's what we're striving for. We don't want it to be challenging. Um, uh, we don't want to be over challenging and stressful. Um, and, and fatigue is something that, that really does play into that. It's, um, you know, it, it's something it's, it's, this is the wrong word, I think, but it's underrated um, as a potential safety concern because uh, you've experienced it, I'm sure I've experienced it, that we, one of the hardest parts of my job is, is changing my circadian rhythm, is knowing that I have a flight coming up that is a very late night flight or a very early flight, and I've just come off of the opposite. You know, I've been doing all late night flights, and now I know that in three days, the next flight is super early. 
So I've got three days to change my sleep pattern. And these are the things that a lot of people don't see, you know, but we take it seriously. And, and I, I do change my sleep patterns and I have my routines and my, my strategies to try and make sure that when I turn up for the flight, I'm as fresh as I can be. Because I know that if I don't do that, or if I turn up in a fatigue state, I might as well swig that bottle of Jack Daniels because it'll be the same result. I will not be focused. I will not know what I'm doing. And I will be, uh, I will not be the guy that you want to pay to be at the front of that plane. Um, and so, yeah, all of these things are, this is the reason that we, it, although we can't get complacent, um, these are the reasons that we have such a safe system at the moment, you know, which can be frustrating at times, but uh, there's a reason for it. Um, and it's good. It's one of the rare silver linings of being a transcom commuter and relatively senior in base is that I can hold early morning starts on the West Coast, which my life is banker's hours because I live on East Coast time. Yeah. And so give me all the early starts in the world. I don't ever want to do a red eye, which I don't have to do. Yeah. And uh and my circadian rhythm, that's 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 one of my bigger priorities when bidding my schedule is just yeah. Just East Coast bankers hours, which you know, five a.m. show on the west on the West Coast, no problem. That's eight a.m. I can do that all yeah. all week long. Um, <clears throat> and that, that's the thing is that you know that's that's great for you and it's good for me. The trouble is the guy on reserve that's on a standby um, who yeah. really doesn't know what they're going to do tomorrow. Uh, there's where the issue is, and that's why we you know I'm so glad that we have people. Um, at all the airlines, this is where we don't compete, right? Safety is where we don't compete. We're, you know, all of the airlines, you know, they, they're, they're working, trying to work on this. And I'm really happy that we have people that do volunteer and do this uh, because generally because of that reserve person uh, that is on standby and doesn't know what they're going to be flying for the next week. And they can get super early morning or super late at night. And it's, it's down to their own discipline um, to to try and make sure they're as fresh as possible for that flight. But sometimes we make it very, very difficult for them to do that. Um, you know, you just simply can't switch on and off. You know, you can't switch your body on and off. And sometimes yeah. we, we we make it as difficult as possible for them for that to happen. So I'm glad we got people working on it, that's for sure. One last question. Yeah. Or, but I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about it. At the risk of condescending or patronizing myself to to equate myself with Joe Rogan, which I am not. Uh, I think I've had 20 views on my first podcast, so I've got a little catch-up to do. But, you know, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of his. I, I like, I, I listen to selected guests on Joe Rogan. If, if he has someone on that I think is going to be interesting, then I'm going to listen, but I don't listen to his mixed martial arts shows just because I don't personally care about mixed martial arts. Well, right. not every show that I have is going to have on someone from aviation or a pilot, but I'm going to have a fair amount of people from aviation and pilots. And so I'm planning on asking all my pilots uh, this question. And so it's it's multifaceted question. One is what makes a good pilot? And then I'd like for you to elaborate on what makes a good captain, what makes a good first officer, and what makes a good, you know, flight attendant crew member. And then what do you do 
have you changed or shifted your focus at all to make yourself a better captain in in the past five years? Because I've shifted my my perspective. I've for me personally, I've realized I'm not going to become a better captain by focusing on knowing the technical merits any better than I already do. I mean, I'm on a new plane right now, so obviously I've got work to do in continuing to get up to speed on knowing this plane mm-hmm. as as well as I knew the Airbus, which I was on for 16 years. But for me to become a better captain, for me personally, it's... It's more focus on how I relate interpersonally with the person I'm flying with or the people I'm working with, making sure that I don't come off as someone who is so confident in his own self that he's coming off as uh, being abrasive towards others or, or making others feel smaller by the way in which he's speaking. And that, that's one of the ways I'm kind of working. So similarly to you, I'll, I'll you know go back to the original question, what makes a good pilot? What makes a good captain, first officer, or crew member in general? So let's see, where can we go with this? The nice thing is, is that by the time we've reached this point in our career, we have both flown as first officers, we've flown the airline system, and we have been able to watch how other people operate. And I think you can you can see very quickly what works and what doesn't. Because some people that I've flown with in the past, I've thought, oh, is this really going to go on for four days? This is going to drag on and this is going to be miserable. Um, and other people, I thought, that was such a pleasant trip. That went by so quickly. It was enjoyable. You know, we, we it, it was contra- the contrast between those two. And so throughout the years, I, I've stolen little pieces from people to try and make me um, and steal these little 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 bits and pieces of the good people. And also to make sure I keep uh, in a box the bits of the bad people that made my job more difficult. Um, because obviously the, you know, uh, what's the, 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 the saying is, you know, we, we get paid quite, we get paid well to do this job. Um, but in my mind, um, we're not paid. We're not, our salary is not, it's not paid per flight to me. It's, it, there's, our salary is paid to cover three or four flights per year. Um, that's why we are paid well. The reason we're paid well is because there are three or four flights a year where we earn that money. We don't know when those flights are going to come, but they're going to come. And when they come, we're going to be compensated for it. That's why we're there. Um, generally, the job is relatively easy, and we're, we're paid very well to do the job. Um, uh, so that's my retainer. And for those two or three flights a year, uh, that's when I'm really going to earn my salary, my yearly salary. Now, when I'm on that flight, and I don't know when it's coming, when I'm on that flight, I want to make sure, because I'm not, I can't do this all on my own. There's just too much, like we were saying before. It's a complex machine in a complex system with things moving that that can require decisions constantly and then review of those decisions and changing those decisions, all while in the back of your mind, you are responsible for however many 150 people in the back of of this airplane. 
And it's down to you. It can't be just down to me. I can't physically do that on my own. We, we have to have some, we have to have two people. So I want to make sure that I haven't already alienated this guy, that he is not switched on and he's not on board with me. So the first thing I want to do is to make sure this guy and I are on the same page. Um, that's, that's, a, that's the first thing. Um, so in my mind, I want to make his life as easy as possible to allow him the room to do his job. Um, that's the first thing. In the, in the back, the flight attendants, it's the same. It's the same. We're, we're department managers. Um, you know, our department consists of uh, six people, seven people, whatever it happens to be. Um, that's our department. Uh, and we're, we're the managers of that department. I'll often buy a coffee for the flight attendants. Um, anyone want a coffee? Uh, no, no, no. It's free. Oh, yes, yeah, I'll have a triple Trenti frapper crappuccino and an extra this. And a, and uh, that is an investment as far as I'm concerned because now we're already starting to, to, to create this rapport um, that, you know, oh, isn't that nice? He bought me a coffee. It's a $3 coffee. But that just bought me something. That bought me, when things go wrong, we're all together, right? It's us. We we already we're, we're we're comfortable with each other, um, and so uh, you know that that's just something that I I I've tried to use. I also, as an example, when I make the public address, when I make the announcement, there are hidden things in my announcement um, that are subliminal messages to my passengers to tell them two things. Number one, we are all on the same page. These flight attendants and us, we're a crew. We're, we're together. Um, and number two, I, I'm sending a little message through to our, our passengers that are saying, make the job of our flight attendants easy. Because if you don't, it's going to be bad for you and you're going to look like a bit of an idiot. Um, uh, so, for example, with the mask thing at the moment, you know, I... Uh, um, you know, our, uh, uh, Bob, Joe, Lisa, and and Linda uh, are in the back, and they're going to take very good care of you. Please take good care of them for us too, um, and make their job as easy as, as you possibly can. Keep those masks on because we'd like this to be a non-stop flight to insert city here. Those sort of things. For the flight attendants, they've just heard that as well. And they've now heard, okay, he's on our side. We, he's got us. He's got our back. He bought me a coffee. These are not, you know, it's not necessarily every flight, but he bought us a coffee. Sure. Or, hey, I heard something that's now going to make my job easier. First officer, you're, you know, ah, oh, okay, my job's going to be, I can get on with my job. It's easy now. I sit there and don't do that much, but I now know as soon as something kicks off in the back or as soon as we have a medical or as soon as we need to divert, I've got a first officer and all of the flight attendants and we are all on the same page because not one of us wants to be during the debrief at the company office or at the bar after the flight. We don't want to be that person that everybody else is talking about. Um, and if I can 
somehow create that, um, that for all of us makes the, the flight enjoyable, pleasant, um, and go by uh, so much easier than if you, you know, if you try and, uh, you know, if you try and introduce any kind of ego or any kind of, you know, um, dictatorship in the, in, you know, in, in, the, in the cockpit or anything like that, micromanaging, whatever it happens to be. Uh, if you can get rid of that, it just makes things so much easier, I think. Um, and also trying to understand the job of the other people, you know, understanding what these guys do in the back, understand what the first officer does and vice versa. Um, and to me that, you know, once you figured that out, then you're a proper, you're a proper pilot, you're a proper captain. Um, a, you know, a captain is not, you know, swept from the brow, you know, man, you know, throwing the plane around in thunderstorms and getting it safely on the, and everyone claps and everything else. That's not a captain. A captain is, is somebody that, that um, is managing a department that is looking after the, 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 the lives and the safety of 150 people that you don't know, 150 strangers. Um, and, and that's, that's basically it. That's why the boring flights are the best, you know, the, the dead boring flights are the best ones. <laughs> so that, that's what I say as far as, um, as far as the captain's concerned, I think it's the same with the first officer as well. Cause first officers are, you know, we've been there, you become a chameleon, um, you become a chameleon to the guy sitting in the left seat because you want it to be easy. You want it to be as easy as possible. And, you know, so you, you, you try and pick up very early. Okay. Who is this guy? How is he going to be? What does he want me to do? Um, and if, 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 if you figure out very quickly as a first officer that this is going to be, I'm going to be guessing a lot as to what he thinks and what he wants me to do. And he's going to be pushing me to do things that I, you know, maybe I'm not comfortable doing or, or whatever, then this is going to be a long and a hard trip and it's going to be tiring, you know, and then, you know what, the last thing I want to do is to go out and have a beer when we go to San Diego. I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, when I, I, I we're, we'll, we'll get, we'll get our piece in the cockpit and then I'm done. Um, but again, that, that whole thing of this, you know, in a, in a trip environment, um, for me, it, it, my job doesn't stop when we get to the destin, you know, to the overnight, um, you know, if, if somebody wants, if we've all got to eat, we've all got, to, you know, we've, we've got to get some food, whatever it happens to be now, you know, it's, it's each to their own, what people want to do. But if I can encourage somebody to come out and just relax for an hour, um, again, we're all on the same page. When we fly again tomorrow, it's us, you know, and if somebody in the back, especially wants to be that guy that stands up and tries to make an issue, you're not dealing with one flight attendant, you're dealing with six crew members that are a solid unit, and that it's going to be you against us. And you know what, I'm going to turn the rest of the passengers against you as well. And it's now going to be 156 against one. Good luck. And there's that's my job, as far as I see, you know, but that takes time. And uh, it's definitely it is strategic, you know, I, I it's something that I think is fun. It's fun to play with. And it's also fun to execute because it's just fun. You know, you're the, what, you're, what you're trying to do is encourage people to relax and have fun. 
for a reason, you know, for a good reason that, you know, I want to be a solid, I want to be a solid crew. And, a, and a, um, if, if it's one of those two, three, four flights per year that we really earn our salary on, that we're all there, we're, we're together and we're solid and we're, we're going to, we're going to deal with it. You know, that's, that's me. It's a great answer, man. I love it. That's what I got. Well, <laughs> I think we're, uh, we're about four hours in right now. I think, oh, man, uh, you kidding? This is a good place to call it, I think. I, oh, I sincerely appreciate you doing this. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to putting it up and out there. And, and uh, I, I would also say, uh, you know, I just posted my first interview with Mike Martz uh, this past week. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't know how I would feel about things or I was worried about, you know, uh, criticism or, or nobody caring at all. And uh, just the, uh, the handful of friends who have reached out and said, hey, you know what? I listened to it. I, you know, and and may, maybe they said something like, ah, I figured I'd just give it a listen and see. But, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed you know, hearing that conversation or whatnot uh, has given me a renewed sense of purpose. But the thing that I would say to you is like, uh, if you have ever thought of maybe doing this as well, I would strongly encourage you because you've got uh, the, the perfect personality for it and the perfect uh, way of interacting with people. So if it's, if it sounds remotely entertaining to you, I would, I would recommend uh, uh, also trying it. Well, you know, I, that's really nice of you to say. But the the the, the thing I was going to say to you, Scott, is uh, uh, you know I've I've learned I've learned things about you that I didn't know during this you know during our chat, and uh, you need to turn this around on yourself. You've got a really interesting story to tell as well, especially with your father, you know, and growing up in that kind of an environment. Uh, there's there's a really interesting story there as well. And, uh, you know, I, well, I, I like all of this. I, it's, it's fun. Well, so I, my thought process on that, because I've, I've wondered how I would, you know, uh, do that or if I would do that, if it would be at all about me or if it would be, you know, uh, interviews and, and all about, you know, the guests or, or people like yourself. And I think that, enough of that will come through just in conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Like if, if anyone has been interested enough to still be listening at this point, well, then they've learned a little bit about me. Do, do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I, I, I have to be honest. And, and uh, you know, I do listen. I, I now have a drive to work. I have a two and a half hour drive to work and I do listen to podcasts. It, you know, it's very, very interesting. There's some, Especially, um, uh, you know, there's there's some there's some really interesting uh, aviation podcasts. It's just interviews with people that everyone has a story, right? And and there are so many fascinating people that in our industry, especially not even the industry in aviation as gen in general. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting to listen to. Um, so yeah, it will also blow you away if if it is something that you decide to endeavor into, uh, the, the thing that really stuns me is how many people say yes. 
you know, hey, could I possibly interview you? Yeah, sure. I like figured it would be somewhere around 50% or less. The number is way higher. It's over 90, I yeah. would say. You're a super interesting guy and 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 you've got a ton of really interesting relationships. And, and I would just say that, you know, it, it just go off of what do you find interesting? Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And and yeah. uh, the other secret purpose of doing this uh, episode with you is I feel like um, you and I, we've been sort of, you know, kind of larger personalities around the airline ever since uh, 2007 or, or uh, did, were you 07 or, or early yeah, 08? April 08. And, but I, I don't feel like we've ever really gotten to know each other uh, yeah. very well. Yeah, we've never flown. <laughs> yeah. No, we've never, never flown, and we only had uh, that one interaction of uh, solidarity and helping uh, helping out uh, someone uh, who fell upon tough times uh, at one point. Uh, uh, we'll just leave it like that, and uh, and 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 that was cool. But it's it's been really cool to to get you know to get to know you more. I hope that we will do this again in the future, and I would love to hit you up for a ride in the chipmunk sometime. Oh. Please do. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're in the area, uh, let me know. Um, and yeah, we'll go out. We'll go go fire this thing off and see what see what we can do. For sure. All right. yeah, Absolutely. Well, and anyone listening to this now, if it's really been four hours, the good thing is, is you're almost at work if you're listening to this on your commute. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I'm <at> work. but <laughs> no, thanks I so much for doing. It. I really do. It's been very. It's been really fun.